0: Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14. God had delivered His people against overwhelming odds, radically outnumbered and outgunned, and yet God had brought deliverance. And salvation to his people. But because of pride, arrogance, sin on the part of Saul, there was a limit to the victory. And it says in verse 46 that Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines and they withdrew to their own land. And after Saul assumed rule over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side. Moab, the Ammonites, Edom the kings of Zoah, the Philistines, wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment on them. He fought valiantly and defeated the Amalekites, delivering Israel from the hands of those who had plundered them. So he's doing some good things. Israel had been an oppressed and abused people. He brought freedom and liberation. It says that his sons were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malchishua. The names of his oldest daughter was Mirab, And the name of his youngest was Michael. And Michael comes back into the story later. His wife's name was Hanoma, the daughter of Ahimaaz. The name of the commander of Saul's army was Abner, son of Ner. And Ner was Saul's uncle. So Abner was his cousin. Saul's father Kish and Abner's father Ner were the sons of Abiel. All the days of Saul, there was bitter war between the Philistines. And whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, he took him into his service which was something God warned his people about. Hey, if you have a king, he's going to tax you. You're going to have to do stuff for him. He's going to take the best of your land for himself, and he will press your sons into his service. Before, they didn't have that. No taxes, none of this servitude stuff. It was everybody just had their own thing. It was a libertarian paradise. That was kind of a joke. And uh, so then that was the situation going on. Now, Some of this is is good. They're being delivered. Saul's doing good work. But then, verse 1, chapter 15, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen to me now to the message from the Lord. So Saul is being reminded, hey, I'm the one that anointed you king over Israel. I'm the one who God used to bring you to the throne. So he has the place to speak this message from God. Uh, Verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put them to death, men and women, children and infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. All right, that's a heavy word. First of all, just because... Saul had problems. It didn't mean that God wasn't going to use him. That being said, uh, watch out for thinking because God is using you or God is using someone else that he is okay with you, you and your actions or them and their actions. Because there are people that God uses who are a mess and they're going to have to deal with the consequences of their own sin. But God says, you know what? In the meantime, I'm going to take this mess and I'm going to make it useful. Now that can be a beautiful thing when God takes our mess and makes it useful but it can also be a tragic way that we deceive ourselves as we think, oh, it's okay, God's okay with it. Uh, God wouldn't be using me if he wasn't okay with it. That's just not true, just not true. I'm thankful for the work God has done through Hillsong. That might, see, why why is he talking about Hillsong? Well, you know, if you go on Discovery Plus, you can watch that big expose documentary. Uh, And if you've honestly been paying attention, there's very little that's newsworthy in it uh, that wasn't already out, wasn't already public. Um, they're, They're just on a bigger platform. But the stuff that was going on, especially at Hillsong, New York, and Hillsong down in Dallas, bad stuff, horrible stuff. And yet I believe that God used those churches and used people in those churches. And I believe there were faithful, wonderful Christians who were just trying their best there. And God used those churches despite themselves. And that's kind of what's going on here is that God has a plan to use Saul even though he is a mess. Now, God says, I want you to go and wipe out the Amalekites, even the children. And we go, wait, what are you talking about? I think it's okay for us to be horrified at reading that. It is. It's okay for you to be horrified. And, and, and if you just go, eh, I'd be a little concerned. It's okay to be horrified. And then at the same time, we have to dig into God and say, what's going on here? I think there's a couple of things happening. First of all, is there's this idea that the Old Testament God is mean and he's vengeful and he just kills people all the time. And then there's the New Testament God and he's Jesus and he's sweet and he's loving. and He's a pacifist and this whole thing. Jesus in his first coming came as the suffering servant. You know, we just had Easter Jesus came, he was silent before his accusers. He was beaten and he didn't lift a hand in defense. He was mocked and he said nothing back. He went to the cross even though he could have called down an army of angels to deliver him. And so we think, oh, that's the pacifist Jesus. We like that Jesus. Read the book of the Revelation. When Jesus comes again, he comes on a conquering horse with an army behind him. And it says that he destroys the armies of this world just a word from his mouth. I remember um, in Bible college, I had a professor and he was uh, lecturing on something and then out of nowhere, he stopped and he had his glasses and he took his glasses and he pulled them down to the front of his nose and he looked down on all of us and he said, God kills people. He's a British guy. God kills people. And then he puts his glasses back on and he went back to lecturing. And we're like, whoa, what was that about? I trust that the judgment of God is fair. In fact, I fully believe this, you know, we sing this song sometimes at church, the scandal of grace. The scandal of grace isn't that God judges people, it's that he has taken judgment from us and placed it on Jesus. The scandal is that what I've done wrong and what you've done wrong has been placed on someone else. That's the scandal. And when you read the history of of what we know from archaeology and and other historical accounts uh, that the Amalekites and these other Canaanites were were like the human sacrifice, the child sacrifice. Um, These were, these were terrible civilizations. Um, Honestly, people are really funny about that. When I lived in England, uh, they got rid of the death penalty in the sixties and, and by and large, it doesn't matter whether you're right or left. Generally speaking, people in England are against the death penalty. But then there was, in the late 60s, it was one of the first things to happen after the death penalty was abolished. There was this horrible uh, couple who were serial killers and they would lure children, um, and it was in, in Manchester where I lived, and they would lure children and then they would um, take them out to the moors, which are these these really desolate kind of hills to the east of Manchester, and that's where they would kill them and, and abuse them and leave the bodies. And the gal was still alive in the early 2000s and then she passed away and I remember the response in the nation was, you know, I'm against the death penalty, but for her, I heard this multiple times from old and young, right and left, but for her, we would have made the exception. Maybe you read this and you go, that's terrible, but for the Nazis, I might have made the exception. Oh, that's terrible. But for Putin, I might make the exception. It's funny how we are like that. I trust that as horrible as this is, that what God was doing was right. Because I know God. And the more I know God, the more I go, this is horrible. But I trust that what God was doing was right. And maybe even merciful, even if I can't see it. But we Christians live in the age of grace, under the covenant of grace. I'm not looking to take up a sword against anybody. You know, I pray for Mr. Putin. I pray that God would change his heart. I pray that God would lead him to repentance. I pray that God would um, do, do miraculous things. Pray for my enemies. And I think Mr. Putin's an enemy of just about everybody, so let's pray for him. What a crazy thought. Verse seven, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. Then he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, but all the people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything that was good. And they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. And Samuel was angry and cried out to the Lord all that night, Then early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone up to Carmel. um, And there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Okay. So God tells Samuel, hey, Saul has not done what I told him to do. I told Saul to completely wipe out the Amalekites. Nothing was to be left. And, and that's an interesting thing, right? Like one of the really common charges from, um, you know, it's interesting. It's from the far left progressives in America, but also from the libertarian right in America. It's not just a right and left thing. Um, is that America goes to war if there's oil involved. I, I don't want to make a comment about that. But the idea is, oh, we only do things if there's something in it for us. What God told Saul to do was to go to war with nothing in it for you. This will bring you nothing back. You're not going to get plunder. You're not going to get rich off of this. This campaign, you will go, you will do the job, and then you'll be done. You're not taking any spoils of war. Everything is to be destroyed. Because what God was doing was not just bringing justice Every person that the Amalekites had abused, destroyed, enslaved, all of that, God was bringing justice for those people. But he was also sending a message to the nations around, repent, repent. And Saul didn't do what he was supposed to do. And so Samuel hears this, he's just horrible about it. He gets there and he finds out that what happened? Saul set up a monument to himself. He didn't set up a monument to God. He didn't give the credit to God. He said, hey, I'm a great military commander. I'm a military genius, and I'm going to set up a monument to my own greatness, and then I'm going to go home. So when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. It's like when my kids say, I'm all done. I've cleaned everything you told me to do. Can I, you know, can I play Switch now? <laughs> really? Really, you've done everything I've asked you to do? But Saul said, or Samuel said, What is the bleeding of sheep that is in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? He's saying, hey, if you've done everything that God told you to do, you're just coming back from a battle. Why is there all this livestock? You don't bring all this livestock to battle, Saul. What's going on? As if, Saul, you've just told me that you did everything, but it's obvious like anyone who knows what's going on can look around and see that you did not do what you were instructed. Saul answered verse 15 The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God but we totally destroyed the rest enough Samuel said to Saul let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night tell me Saul replied Samuel said that although you were once small in your own eyes you did not become head did you not become head of the tribes of Israel The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, and I brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers, they took the sheep. And the cattle for the plunder, the, blessed, the best of that was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does, not the Lord, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed, heed, to listen to God. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For the rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord and he has rejected you as king. Saul is making the argument, hey, I did what God wanted. The people, they took some stuff, but they did it for good reasons. They're going to sacrifice it to God. Isn't that great? We see people do this all the time. Yes, I know I didn't do what God says in the Bible that he wants me to do, but you know what? I've got good motives. Or yes, I didn't do the thing that God told me to do, but you know what? My, my intention is to do this for the, for the good of God, for the glory of God. Saul's like, hey, it's all okay, right? Samuel says, it would be better if you just obeyed. So because of that, you've been rejected as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. Oh, that's the big thing. Saul as leader was afraid of his soldiers. You might remember that from a few episodes ago. Saul was afraid of them. Hey, they're not going to get their spoil and if they leave without their spoil, they're going to be cranky. Now I beg you, Forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Now someone might say, well, couldn't we just forgive him? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out here. This is opinion only. I think, I think Saul could have been forgiven. I think he could have. I think that his own words reveal why he wasn't. Let's keep reading. So as Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. So Saul is so distraught that he reaches out, he falls, he grabs Samuel's robe. And as Samuel's walking away, part of that robe tears. And Samuel says, all right, that's a teachable moment. You've seen that torn piece of robe? You're holding on, you're clinging. God's taken the kingdom away from you and it's just going to be ripped out of your hands. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. So Samuel is trying to explain the real nature, the truth of God to him. Saul replies, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. But then Samuel said, bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him in chains and he thought, surely the bitterness of death has passed. But Samuel said, "As your sword has made women childless, so you will be the mother; so will your mother be childless among women." And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal, and then Samuel left for Ramah. But Saul went up to his home at Gibeah of Saul. Until that day, until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Let's deal with a few things in order here. First is. Saul says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I want to repent, and this is why I think he wasn't forgiven, because his sorrow wasn't born out. His sorrow was, come back with me so that I look good in front of everybody. And that's, I'm just going to name this right now. There, there's a church down in Southern Oregon, an and influential church, a church that God has used, There are are good and healthy churches all over Oregon and the Pacific Northwest that, that were started because of that church. And I thank God for that work. But the founding pastor is a guy named John Corson who had affair after affair after affair and his youngest son, Ben Corson, became the pastor of the church. And he divorced his wife, tried to blame it all on her, say she was in sin, And then he had multiple, multiple inappropriate relationships outside of marriage after that. And they covered it up and they covered it up and they covered it up and they've just done all these things to try to make it look good. And even right now he's trying to like come back and be a speaker and and get back into the pulpit. And I'm saying this because we are in Oregon and churches in our area have connection to that church and I want people to be aware, hey, this guy's not good.'t don't, don't give him a follow on Instagram, don't check out his YouTube, don't don't give this guy attention. Do I believe that he could repent? Yes, and I pray he does. Do I believe that he could bring himself back into a place of ministry? Yes, I actually do. But instead of repenting, what did he do? He went away for six months and then he started to gaslight everybody like, you know what? I made some mistakes, but we're just moving forward instead of dealing with them. That's the same thing that Saul's doing. You know, just come back, make it look good. And I think that's why he doesn't actually get forgiveness because he doesn't actually repent. And there are other people who have legitimate repenting. I think David legitimately repented after uh, he had Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, murdered. I believe that. Next, Samuel has the king brought to him and he pronounces judgment. Hey, you're a murderer. You are uh, somebody who has inflicted death on thousands. Your time has come and he kills him in front of all the people. So what he's saying to the people is Saul brought, Saul brought Samuel back to say, hey, if Samuel's standing here with me, it'll look good. And Saul doesn't realize Samuel is going got there for the purpose of finalizing things. In front of everybody, I'm going to do what you should have done. And finally, he wouldn't come back. He left and he never saw Saul again, but he mourned for him the whole time. It wasn't a sitting in judgment, you idiot. You didn't look down on him. He mourned for him the way that I mourned for John and Ben Corson. And John Corson had an incredibly huge impact in my early life and ministry. I'm thankful for that impact. And I mourn for him. But, but Samuel had to say, this is not okay. It's not okay. Well, as our time draws to a close, I believe that God is still working and moving, that God brings people to a place of repentance, and that there is great hope if we fully submit and surrender our lives to Jesus. And it's with that hope that I... I trust that you will have a fantastic day. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., and we meet throughout the week in small groups and home groups, and you can email groups at faithonhill.com. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill Church. You can follow us on social media at Faith on Hill. Our website's faithonhill.com, and our podcasts and online services are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our Facebook page. God bless you. You have a great week. We'll see you for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.